So before we get into this episode, I'd just like to acknowledge that we're recording on Jar Jar Rung country and I'd like to pay my respect to elders past, present and future. Hello and welcome back to another encore episode of Country Creatives with myself, Caleb Maxwell, and my good friend, Reese Hendy. That is your name. We are on holidays at the moment, but this episode is an absolute cracker. It is an encore episode of the one and only Lauren Starr. Yeah, we had a chat with Lauren earlier on in the year. Just before she went massive and won a huge <laughs> award, the Blue Thumb Art Prize, Australia's richest art prize. Yeah, phenomenal. What a superstar. And yeah, pun totally not intentional, but funny nonetheless. Fun fact, she not only won the overall prize for the Blue Thumb Art Prize, but she also won the photography category. Double winner. Yeah, since winning this award, her name has just gone gangbusters in newspapers and online. Yeah. And rightfully, she's been creating some amazing work for quite some time. I was lucky enough to meet Lauren through the incubator program run through the Emporium Creative Hub, which is a really awesome program. And I think we talk about it a little bit. If you haven't already listened to Lauren talk about her art and her process... This is really great. We got her before she went gangbusters. Yep, we did. But I just do want want to highlight how much fun you're going to have listening to my prediction. Quite a cliche prediction in the end it ended up being. A little bit awkward, but heaps of fun. (laughs) That in less than a year, everyone's going to know her name. I just want to say I feel very proud that I, I said something somewhat prophetic. And we're very proud of Lauren. Yes, thank you, Caleb, for predicting the future. I'm sure Lauren is very happy. Can you just tell me about how successful I'm going to be so that comes into fruition this year? I'll ponder it maybe next episode, bro. All right, thank you. Without any further ado, let's jump into one of our past episodes with Lauren Starr. Welcome, Lauren Starr. Yay. I was waiting for the applause. Yeah. Sound effects. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks for dropping in. It's exciting to have another Bendigo up-and-coming artist um, dropping in for a chat. It's going to be really cool, Lauren. I'm really excited to hear about your story, your progression as an artist. You have a very uh, Lauren style. You have your own style, um, and I love it. And I can't wait to hear about how you got that and what your challenges have been and all that good stuff. Let's start with the basics. All right. Tell us a little bit about your um, creative practice. Well, I try to be creative in everything that I do. So whether that's Love like it. baking bread or journaling or gardening or and all of that feeds into my main creative practice. So I'm a photographic artist, which... Most people don't know what that is, so I'll try and explain. Um, I take lots of different photographs and I blend them together to tell a story. So my work's very narrative-based. It's really heavily steeped in symbolism. I love flowers and skulls and history and literature, and so I bring all that alive for my artwork. I love it. Mm. How did you come across this medium and method? Uh, um, so, yeah, if you'd asked me, I don't know, 15 years ago, whether I would have been an artist, just didn't seem like a viable career choice. And um, I'm figuring out now that kind of <clears throat> I'm still dealing with those stories of, you know, an artist isn't a real job, but mm. we'll probably get more into that later. So I did have a catalyst moment. I went and spent some time in New York and I decided I was going to be a writer or a photographer or do something creative. Um, came back home and did a photography course, then got pregnant. So then I did baby photos for like seven years. So I was a newborn <laughs> photographer. But about a year into that, I discovered um, an artist called Brooke Shaden and she was a fine art photographer. And I it was like a moment off Bridgerton, like I just fell in love straight away. It was 
love at first sight. I just thought, what is this stuff? How do I learn how to do it? And I spent hours learning how to Photoshop stuff to bring my weird ideas to life, basically. And so I started doing quirky family photos for people. And then after about five years of that, just thought, I've got my own stories to tell. That's what I really want to do. And look, there was a little bit of sadness there because I'm like, well, I failed as as a photographer. But yeah, now I'm going to be an artist. Mm, Well, photography is art. It is, it it is, but sort of in that vision that I really thought that that business was what I was potentially going to do. Yeah, gotcha. I'd put so much time and money and investment into training in that specialty of baby photography. But Mm. And um, also, I guess there's no point shying away from the fact that you do have a part-time job that supports your creative job as well. But did that come about, like, can you tell me a little bit about that and how you balance your creative life with, you know, the boring stuff like a regular (laughs) job? I, yeah, like it is a balance in the sense that, so my regular job is, um, I'm a school teacher part-time. So that in itself is a, is a career. It takes up a lot of headspace. So I do that Monday to Wednesday. I'm really lucky that that's super fulfilling like I get to teach kids how to read so it's amazing but then I can leave that Wednesday afternoon and I put my art hat on Thursday through Sunday so it is Mm -hmm. I balance it by being quite segmented don't know if that's right or wrong but like I heard a long time ago that you shouldn't make the art pay for itself you should have you know up until a point Mm. until you make the transition you know have something that will I can make my art for the love of the art I don't have to Mm. peddle it yeah. If that's the right way of yeah, saying that. Yeah, there's less pr- pressure on the artwork itself to be financially self-sustaining so that you can actually find your sweet spot and your your style and, and I actually love that. Yeah. yeah. So I can do what I want to do because I've done yeah. the other way too where I've said yes to things and I've done mm. commissions and I've done things that, you know, maybe – left me feeling a little bit resentful because I didn't really want to do them. I just said yes because to please people and because they paid money for it, you know, whereas now I can just do exactly what I want to do and if people love it, great, and if not, that's okay too. Yeah, definitely. It's a lot more fun when you don't have the pressure of it like Mm. being a job to pay the bills. You're like, oh, well, this is just an output for me um, as a creative person. But it made me want to ask what – drives you as a creative person you said you had that like moment the realization that you know you were going to be a creative in some way a long time ago what did that look like and like what drew you to having a creative career so I think it's something that's gained momentum and it's something now that I would call a calling Mm. without you know Mm. sounding too woo woo it's (laughs) I couldn't not do it and whilst I'm sort of saying that you know it's nice to be able to make what I want and not have financial pressure, I want to be a financially successful artist as well. So I have that drive to have a successful business, Mm. but also I have the drive to make art that inspires people and impacts the world. So, you know, I've got some lofty, (laughs) (laughs) some lofty ideals, but I'll give you some examples of how I've really seen that come to life recently. So I've come to see that my art's like basically a projection of my own life, my experiences, precious truths that I've learned along the way. So it's a mirror. And when somebody else looks at the art, it's a mirror for them too. And they're either repelled by it or they're attracted to it and they see themselves in it. And that's where the connection is. And it's freaking amazing in the sense that, you know, I've had people recently come to say, I had one guy text me and say, look, I've bought your work and it it saved my life. Um, This picture really turned my life around and God, now I'm getting weepy. Um, (laughs) But it's it's that powerful. powerful. And someone else said, you know, they, they brought a picture I've done of skulls and books and moths and he's like, you know, I hang it. Um, above my bed so every morning I wake up and I see that and I remember that I need to live because Come you know on. this could be my last day so oh, that's giving me chills <laughs> mm, I love that and for me to start hearing those it's not just like oh yeah you know your art looks uh, I guess there's a really deep meaning in really wanting to connect people do a deeper conversation about why we're here and what it means to be alive and live a really meaningful life <laughs> Lauren, that is amazing that you can articulate that so well because there's a lot of artists, and I know for myself, like having that self-awareness and that introspection to be able to know why you do what you do doesn't come naturally to a lot of people. How did you discover your why and what was that process for you? I think very simply it's been doing the work on myself alongside 
my art. Yep. So, you know, <laughs> I have a library of about a bazillion self <laughs> self help books, um, <laughs> or self growth, spirituality, I've done therapy, all that sort of has coincided with the art journey. So what I'd say pretty simply is how you work on yourself on the inside reflects mm. on the outside. And I knew I wanted to do something meaningful or I wanted my art to not just be commercial, you know, matching colours and things. I wanted somebody mm. to look at it and, you know, potentially it would change their life. I think that is so much more powerful than making something for money. And it's funny how I think uh, someone on that journey is more likely to make a piece and have some financial success because their work actually means something and that's what people actually want to see. They want to they want to come to a, a piece of art and have it inform them or challenge them or be a mirror to them, which I thought that was an excellent, excellent analogy. Yeah. Very cool. Thanks. Yeah. No, I um I guess I looked around my studio one day and went, oh, there's kind of a theme running through all my work. <laughs> that's got to be really encouraging as a as an artist to be able to see that you've got to a point where you can see yourself in your art and that there is a theme because there's all that's a that's another challenge. I mean, I'm not a I'm not a uh, a visual artist in the sense of a physical medium, but I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm not an artist like you would say you're an artist. I am a creative practitioner, I mm-hmm. suppose, yeah. but I don't create art. That is there to be. It's yeah. commercial art yeah. where you produce. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's commercial primarily. <laughs> um, which it, I'm not putting as much of myself into it as you are. I was kind of actually wanting to know how you've managed to find that space because your work is like almost like still life kind of looking, or some of it is, sorry, you've got different themes of work that you've produced and some of the more recent stuff that I've really liked and it is really striking is kind of like still life photography, but there's so much life brought into it. And I was wondering how you go about like creating that. So it's like a, it's a bit of a throwback to like just old school still life, the stuff that I remember my grandparents having on their (laughs) kitchen wall, like, but it's, like a new wave of it that's really interesting and has a lot more life to it. Like how did you come across that and how do you actually make it engaging? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, So you're exactly right. So that's one of the themes that I've been really interested in exploring. Um, Good old Instagram introduced me to or reintroduced me to Dutch still life and um, vanitas and the concept of memento mori, which is Latin for remember that you die. So I'm like, oh, what's that? That sounds amazing. Um, so I hear these little things and it reminded me of a quote that I'd heard before, like um, begin with the end in mind. So basically it's you live every day not thinking 100% that you're going to die, but you keep death at the forefront because it helps you to live a better life. Like in Western culture, we kind of feel that we're going to live forever and, you know, we probably waste a lot of time. So you begin every day going, right, this this one could be my last one. And Yeah, so it's like still life so the, with a little bit of still death. Yeah, so there. the still life. So um, the Dutch masters back in the day, they created these beautiful still lives, but they had all this symbolism in them. So everything had a meaning like um, shells and snails and insects and the lemons and everything that you'd see in still life. So I used to look at them as a kid and go, that's boring. There's a picture of bread and cheese and fruit, whatever. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, oh, my God, it was like a <laughs> secret language. And particularly in one period, um, artists were banned from depicting church symbols and stuff in their art. So they created this language to talk about religion because it was a super hot topic in the day obviously Mm. Mm. so I love that I love anything that's a little bit mysterious and I'll set up beautiful flowers you know which are ephemeral in themselves like they die in a couple of days and I'll put skulls and shells and different things in them that have hidden meanings so each piece you can find as much or as little as you want in it like it's visually beautiful and some people that's enough it's like oh great that's really pretty, I'm going to put that on my wall. And other people are like, oh, my God, these berries mean this and this is this. And, you know, they really get into, it's like a secret language. And then in terms of the aliveness, so I'll add, like I put my brother's cat in one or I go around taking pictures of birds and butterflies and things and then I'll overlay them afterwards because they don't sit very well for still life, you know. No, they don't. (laughs) They don't too, they're told. (laughs) Yeah, so that's probably more traditional photography that I do. So I'll set up the flowers and the fruit and everything in studio, shoot it, and then add the animals and stuff afterwards. 
Mm, yeah, okay. Mm. I saw on your Instagram that you'd made a trip out to the um, Butterfly Garden. Yeah. Your favourite spot yeah. to go to just snap a few yeah. extra little bits yeah. and pieces. Yep, yeah, so I'm always collecting. Like I have a big library of stock images. Um, part of my process, I try to use at least 95% of my own work. Obviously, maybe if there's some exotic animal or something, I'll buy a stock image, but I try to take all my own photos. There, on that note, there's quite a lot of like a series of work uh, that you've done about or featuring Bendigo in regional Victoria. <laughs> Do you want to tell me about that series and what stories are you telling it in and amongst and why have you featured Bendigo and yeah and great question okay um well I live in Bendigo so um I I do love Bendigo but that's been something I've sort of come around to like I grew up here I moved away I never thought I'd live back here so mm. I do now so I where did you move to uh Melbourne and London I wanted to see the city with fresh eyes so during COVID I took a lot of walks around the street and I really saw how beautifully European it was and I love old things. (laughs) I love history and I started to really wonder about, you know, the people that used to live in Bendigo and the people that built the town. And um, I started reading about stories about Bendigo. So there's one particular picture that I've made where a lady's drinking wine and floating down a boat in the middle of Charing Cross, which is based sort of on a true story. Apparently in the 20s, Charing Cross flooded and a guy floated down in his tinny. (laughs) (laughs) Of course he did. (laughs) Of course he did. So I've just made it a bit prettier and, you know, put heaps of goldfish in there because I love surrealism art, but also, you know, it's a gold rush. So it's sort of a, anyway. It's funny. (laughs) If you didn't know that that, like if you're not from Bendigo and you looked at that image that you're talking about, you probably wouldn't place it as some little country town in the middle of, mm. you know, like outside of Melbourne. It actually yeah. looks European. Yep. Like it does, actually. It does. There was an insane amount of wealth when Bendigo was first built. Like it was it was on the tour card list for rich and famous people, you know, like Paris, London, Bendigo, like back in the day. Like, <laughs> not kidding. It was no, like it's amazing when you really look. The Treasury Gardens the in Melbourne it was built to house Bendigo's extra gold. Because wow. we didn't have enough space in Bendigo yeah. to actually store all of the gold safely. So they built another building in Melbourne to just hold it. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. The, the rest of that collection, like you've walked around the city, you've sort of reimagined it. And so that's one of the images. What what else did you discover on those walks around Bendigo to form that collection? Probably an ongoing collection. I'm not finished, but I've done mm. one of the conservatory in Roslyn Park. So back I when I was one. a kid, I remember Roslyn Park and particularly the conservatory being like a, a jungle, like it's what you thought it was when you were a little kid. So, you know, back in the 18th century, they loved to have menageries, like Fortuna Fortuna had its own one with peacocks and monkeys and things. So I've turned the conservatory, you know, it has a tiger and it's basically a big jungle and there's a, yeah. I love that one. So it's Mrs. Peacock in the conservatory. So so some of them are more like that's fun. And then some of them as I've done one of the Capitol Theatre where it's just completely flooded so it's it's a nod to climate change and you know the potentially unless we change what we're doing that's maybe what our city will look like in a hundred years um so nature's taken over and i've put like the rem album out of time in the water and Mm. little newspaper clippings of like how we didn't listen to the warnings and stuff like that so i yeah, I'm pretty passionate about conservation and nature and stuff like that so that comes into the work as well i tell you what if the capital theater uh is floating like it is mm. in that shot. Everything in Bendigo, they're probably the whole world's underwater. I'm actually really fascinated to dig into your story about moving away from Bendigo and coming back to Bendigo and living and working as a creative mm. in Bendigo. I know a lot of people who have that story who who grew up and couldn't wait to get out and they they stayed away and I know a couple of people who came back out of necessity and really kind of um, resent it. There is this thought and as you mentioned earlier in the episode that you can't really, uh, being a creative, being an artist isn't a real job and lots of young people get told that. Throw on top of that, you live in a country regional area, there's another layer to that dominating thought that you can't succeed as an artist but you can't definitely can't succeed as an artist in a regional area what can you 
Tell me about your journey back to, to Bendigo and how you reconciled all of those thoughts. Yeah, that's you've articulated that very well. And I know that's like, you know, I have artist friends and I really spent a good amount of time bitching about my situation, which we all do. But there was a point that was probably not that long ago, actually, where I decided that I was going to choose Bendigo. You know, I've been through the, oh, I need to move to Castlemaine or Dalesford or wherever else the art scene seems to be happening. And then I'm like, uh, well, it's here that I am. So, you know, I need to put my energy into where I am and make it successful here. And there are enough people around that we can, you know, have a ground roots sort of movement uh, movement, and um, change the vibe of the city. And it is changing. And it's like anything that if you plant seeds, like everyone could piss off and move to Melbourne and whatever, but you plant a seed and you might not see it for six, 12 months, two years, but I'm starting to see the fruition of seeds that I planted two years ago. And I'm wow. starting to see that, oh, I can be a really successful artist in Bendigo. I've got community embracing me. I've got visitors from Melbourne and Sydney coming and they love it. They love... Come on. Yeah, they want to support regional artists. And Bendigo's it's going to boom. It might take a little while, but it's a long game. We can change yeah, we can. the town. I don't know if we've spoken about this before, Caleb. Mm. I feel like we have. I don't know if it's on record or not, <laughs> but um, being in a smaller you know, regional town, like there's the opportunity as a creative to actually have influence and to have, Mm. to like carve out a niche and own a space and, you know, plant a seed and watch it grow. Whereas in the city, it's like you're in the jungle. One Mm. little seed is like nothing. Whereas, Mm. you know, we're out on an open, open plain out here and you can, you can actually create change. We are the pioneers. Yes. Bendigo. I love how I love how <laughs> empowering these thoughts are because it's it's in, it's the, the hero mindset, not the victim mindset mm. that you're owning. You're going, this is where I am, so I'm going to own this and I'm going to do something meaningful because I can do that no matter where I am. Yep, and don't get me wrong, I've had the victim mindset. Of you know, it's taken me a lot to get to this point. You know, in January I was set to buy a house in Batemans Bay, like. I was <laughs> <laughs> price tag was like 2.5 mil. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Beautiful. But I, I looked at my pattern and it it's always been to, to kind of run away or to, mm. you know, the, the grass is always greener or whatever. Mm. And so I've had to choose quite a few things over the last couple of months. And, yeah, Bendigo is one of them. I'm going to embrace it wholeheartedly and, yeah, put all my energy into being the best that I can. Tell me, though, a little bit more molecular on the detail. What What is one of the things you've – one of the seeds you've planted that you've watched sort of come to life? Can you think of any that come to mind? Yeah, lots. And that's probably for the millions of listeners out there that are listening to this awesome podcast. <laughs> um, that's probably something I'd, I'd like to tell – you know, people that are just starting out, that it's, it is a long game. And Simon Sinek articulates that really well in a lot of his talks that, you know, you can't rely on short-term wins. They're really Mm. nice and they can propel you to keep going. Mm. But you need to understand that as an artist, you have seasons. So there's winters, summers, springs, times of production and times of where not a lot's happening. And as long as you can expect those times, and now that I've sort of been doing it for a couple of years, I can see, yeah, seeds that I've planted. So one of those seeds was um, renting a studio in View Street. And for the (laughs) six to 12 months, I'm like, yep, it's great, it's great, but shit, 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 like how am I going to pay rent this is a really big investment I'm just an emerging artist what the heck am I doing and now I'm like oh okay those times where you feel like nothing was happening stuff was happening there was an invisible momentum of just your energy of believing in yourself and putting your work that there every day I know it's exhausting yeah it's starting to pay off like I'm now as I said I've told you stories of people connecting with my work which Mm. is my number one you know thing that I want to happen but also financial success like I'm like oh okay this this could be a really viable career for me. Well, you started off inside the building with a little studio space and obviously that's now where people come to see you Mm. and find your work and it's like a hub of all your creativity in this little room. But now you're on the outside of the building as well. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? (laughs) Yeah, so I'm part of a really amazing initiative by the Emporium here where we sit who created an arts trail. So where I am is an artist residence. So there's five of us who rent studios inside the Valentine's building, um, which is a really big credit to Peter Valentine and himself that he 
believed in the arts in Bendigo that he's created this space where you can come and buy local art. So it's mm. great and it's mm. great working with a community of artists. And so Sarah owns Art on View. She collaborated with Dave who collaborated with other amazing augmented reality people. Yeah, so you can go and use your phone and see some of my artwork out the front of Valentine's as well as inside. Yeah, and I was also um, talking about... Oh, my bum. Yep. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, it's not mine. No one. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, it's a portrait of a lady. So Peter, in his vision, also has opened up the laneway next to Valentine's and he's made massive beautiful canvas billboard spaces mm. which artists will eventually be able to showcase their artwork so local artists can come and hire the space like they're enormous they're about two meters high mm. it's going to have wine barrels and you know maybe a little combi keg thing where you can come and have events and hire the space but yes so the current artists in residence have their work displayed there and I have a really big portrait of a gardener lady mm. yeah it's pretty cool so you can go yeah take your selfie with the biggest bum in town <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, the reason why i thought to ask that was because you were talking about putting yourself out there <laughs> and uh literally yeah, yeah literally um <laughs> and so like that would be a big step a lot of your work is self-portraiture and so this um this billboard on the exterior in a public space I don't know, maybe it's you, maybe it's not, it's hard to tell. Can't confirm or no, deny. Cannot like confirm nor deny. Yep. But it seems like a big step to put your work out there in this public space, especially of this nature. Has that been something that's been tricky to deal with? No, actually. Legendary. Been through a lot of anxiety and self-doubt about my work and things like that. But I think I'm one of those introverted people that doesn't mind acting. Mm. So for me, they're parts, they're characters, they're not... Me or anybody else who, you know, may be modelling for things that I do. Yeah, so I've managed to separate me and the work, like to the extent that we could say that the work comes through me. Man, I feel like you are (laughs) at like the precipice of something great because you have like all the building blocks, uh, the real foundational internal stuff that has the hallmarks of a phenomenally successful artist. Well, who knows? Yeah, watch this space. I wanted to ask what... What is the next big thing, like, you know, high in the sky thinking for you and your artistic career or endeavours or just a project that you really want to do that's maybe a bit out there and crazy? Yep. What, what is it? What does it look like? So it is sort of linked in with what I was saying about Bendigo and me being drawn to history. It's an idea that's been incubating for a little while, but it's sort of you know, the match has been lit and now it's sort of, it's there, it's burning away, it's finished incubating, it wants to be born. And it's to do with, so the early gold fields and um, researching stories of women on the gold fields because they're not represented, you know, we think of Bendigo mining and, you know, there were the guys doing the mining and I don't know where, where <laughs> but there were women here. I've been, um, Yeah, so doing research already and what I want to do is pick, I don't know, 10 to 20 stories and they're not easy to find. So it's, yeah, so I'm being a bit of a Nancy Drew, um, getting in touch with historians and people who have already, say, written some history about women, but I want to portray it in an art form. And look, some of these stories are really harrowing. And some of them are really plucky and feisty and feel good. But I want to make, yeah, some beautiful artwork to bring these women back into the present and give them a voice basically because they didn't have one. And how will that, how will you do that? I mean, the research mode, so I'll collect the stories, I'll pick the ones I'm going to use. I've been in touch with a local costume designer, um, Scarlett Menagerie. Um, So she's a really, really talented costume designer. She's going to design each piece, each costume piece for each picture. A lot of these places you can can go to the graves where these women were Mm. murdered or lived or whatever. Mm. So I guess in my mind I'd be doing lots of road trips, maybe filming the shooting of it, Mm. um, making some beautiful artworks, but I want to put the story together with them. So wow. it's not just art, it's the art and the story. I don't know, maybe a coffee table book or something or an exhibition or the more I go down the rabbit hole, the bigger it gets. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking that would make an amazing documentary. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So <laughs> Do you know anyone who, yeah. who does anything like that, who films like a, stuff? Like a filmmaker? Yeah. 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 Uh, 
No, no, sorry. I want it to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, like at first I'm like, oh, I'll just make some pretty pictures. But now it's almost like a, mm. like a good burden, but it's a burden in the sense that these women have, like yeah. these are people's lives that I want to honour somehow and wow. tell their stories, give, give them a voice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that really sounds powerful. really interesting. And I like how you've, you know the theme, like you kind of got an idea, but you don't really know how it's going to look in the end. Like that's kind of fun too. Like I'm really yeah. excited to see how it pans out, what mm. it looks like, um, how you're going to show those golden, stories. Gold, gold pun pans out. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> damn it. I wish it was deliberate. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, initially I thought, oh yeah, I'll belt out a couple and that'll be, but now I'm like, I don't know, maybe this will be a two year project. Wow. Maybe I could look for grants and and women and and telling stories of you know hopefully collaborating um with some local indigenous people to to find out some of their stories um chinese association Mm -hmm. um Mm, yeah i love the idea of making it multicultural yes because Mm. oh well that was bendigo in the in the gold rush days that no one no one was here that was from here no no it was um you know and in some ways yeah it was like the wild west that's very exciting and now that you've set it out loud and put it into mm. the world like to the it'll happen yes yeah oh, it's already yep. happening it will i've talked to some people about it and they're like mm-hmm, whatever and then some people are like oh my god like <laughs> yeah. holy crap that's amazing yeah. so you know it's choosing people to work with that probably have that same energy around the project it's a bit it can be disheartening caleb and i were talking about this the other oh. day we were talking about how advice people give you or just their response to your ideas can sometimes Mm -hmm. be unsolicited and unhelpful but you kind of have to just navigate it and push through and be like no no I'm going to stick true to like Mm. I know this is for me Mm. and if you're not for it then get off the bandwagon kind of thing (laughs) like or you know or don't get on the bandwagon and pick the people to work with who are aligning with your ideas as well yeah have you had a challenge with that in the past like is it is have you had any like art hecklers that have actually told you (laughs) Lauren this work is no good yeah, oh, not no good, but like uh, a lot of people really react to skulls. Hmm. So they find it, this is, yeah, this is disturbing or this mm. is weird or. Uh, you shouldn't do that. Yeah, you know, as in why are you doing that? Why aren't you just sticking to that nice Bendigo stuff that you do? Like, So I did find that a little bit of an issue when I started pushing out to, you know, my shadow side and things that I wanted to explore in my art. I lost a few people there that sort of weren't ready to be on that journey but Mm. yeah I do try to keep in mind that well that's okay like it's not for everybody but that's right um if I tried to please everybody I would go insane you certainly would but I realize that that's you know that's a human you you want to be liked you you want to please people but you just have to leave that at the door yeah now tell me a little bit more I heard a little bit in there you said your shadow side well and everybody I th- has a shadow side yeah i know yes, but i'm not in touch with it like i yeah i don't know i've not really thought about it to to maybe dial in on what that would be for me but can you tell me yeah, maybe what it is that concept for yeah. someone who may have no idea what you just said uh carl jung famous um yeah so he he talks about so everybody's got a, a shadow side so they're the things that we keep in the dark because we don't think that they'll be accepted by society our family so we keep them hidden away um you know rather than just embracing the full spectrum of our human nature um so by shadow side like i'm not saying you know crazy adolf hitler type stuff just <laughs> you know it, it, it yeah. might even be things that you've done that you keep totally locked away in secret yep. that cause you shame and things like that. Mm. Yeah, I've got a real interest in the macabre and sort of, you know, looking at dark art and sort of, I don't know, I like witchcraft and spirituality, like not that spirituality is dark, but just things that we don't talk about in normal conversation where we're talking about the weather and the football and stuff mm. like that that's all completely normal. And if you mm. start talking about that other stuff, <laughs> ooh, I don't know, are you going to accept me or are you going to like... <laughs> Yeah, it can be a bit taboo, can't it? It can be, yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, so some of your artwork is tapping into that for yourself, is it? Yes, yeah. I love that. That's interesting. Yeah, because I think that uh, will call to people because that's honesty, that's real. Mm. Uh, Because, as you said, like people have uh, things, everyone has things that they don't think are going to be accepted and some of those things would be if they just embraced them. But some of them would uh, just a societal pressure that's that's been yep. constructed to say oh that's too challenging 
And if we delve into that, then we may lose, you know, our sense of who we are because it's not actually founded on anything real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is really powerful. Yes. And uh, yeah. I commend you for mm. um, actually... Yeah, just embracing that and and going. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell these stories and I'm gonna inject this into my art because that paints a an honest and real picture of of who mm. I actually am. And it's still, you know, I go with trepidation. Yeah, <laughs> it's still, bit of wisdom as well. Yeah, well, as in, there's still, you know, well, how much do you reveal? How vulnerable mm. are you? Mm. Um, how much do you want to put yourself out there? Because eventually, I will probably meet with some sort of, you know, really harsh criticism or trolling or anything like that but I think you know as Brene Brown says the more vulnerable and real we are that's going to make a better society and better connections with people as a whole so oh well done I think that's great I think it's a bold move to sort of step into that space and just own it and give it a crack Mm. good on you Thanks. I look forward to hearing about your shadow sides when we're off. Well, I'm thinking about that a bit more now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. How much would I share? Yeah, yeah. and it's not about yeah sharing it. I don't think publicly with the world. It's even just with some close friends or Mm. it's being known. Yeah. By someone. Yes, absolutely. Your, your whole self and that that's it's real. Yeah. You know what? I have a belief that what makes something fester and unhealthy is hiding it mm. and it's only the things that stay hidden that are going to really be out of control yeah and when something is shared with someone it doesn't have to be everyone like you said but when you are sharing all of you and what you've got that's what you get with a life partner i think yeah, absolutely. Is, you're, is you're able to actually share your honest self and if you don't feel hidden anymore you you feel safe yeah it's really freeing to be completely honest. Yeah. It was really hard too, mm. yep. um, you know, because sometimes you'll say things or you'll mm. admit things and really asking, and do you still love me now that you've seen that? And it's... It can be scary. Oh, it can be scary it's because, big, yeah. you know, they could turn around and go, Whoa, it's, it's too much. Too much. That's mm. the real adventure of life is, <laughs> yeah. is learning to be who you are and embrace who you are. And I think once you do that, then... You can see someone who is fully owning who they are. Mm. They're attractive because that's what people want ultimately is to be known and be accepted. Yeah. Oh, you've done some work, Kelly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love it. I love it. This is so good. I love these conversations. (laughs) You said woo-woo early on in the episode, but uh, we're definitely getting to that space now. We're all the way there. Now, before we head to the wrapping up of this podcast – we're going to um, do something a little bit different and turn the tables. And we've actually asked Lauren to prepare a question for us. And there wasn't much direction on, hey, we want a question of this particular thing or type. Um, but we thought it's a bit unfair just for us to ask all the questions. So <laughs> now's the chance to flip it around, Lauren. Uh, far away. So off air before we started, we were chatting a little bit about this. Um, It's something that I struggle with. It's packing my schedule. If there's a space, I'll fill it and I don't Mm. want to, but Mm. I am busy. And I know a lot of artists reach a certain stage and it's almost like you're on a runaway horse and you say yes, 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 yes to everything because of fear of missing out or whatever. So my question to you is how do you discern what to say yes to and what to say no to, whether that's events or jobs or anything in your life, you know, to channel that energy into your creative calling? I definitely have not mastered the uh, saying no thing, uh, but it was a particular challenge for me. I, I can have the tendency to be a yes man because I love people and if someone comes to me with an idea, I can see. Like a podcast. Hey, hey let's do a podcast. <laughs> yeah, sure, let's do it. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is one of the great things. Um, the, but, yeah, so in the early days I, I found myself doing things that I actually ended up resenting because I wasn't doing it for me. I was doing it, I don't know, because I wanted to make someone feel valuable if <laughs> they had a great idea or, or I just couldn't say no. But one thing, I think I've shared this on the podcast before, is that um, Richard Branson says, is that ideas and opportunities are like buses, 10 coming every single day, and they're going different places, but you don't want to get on all of them. 
you actually only want to take opportunities and ideas that are going to contribute to your goal and your vision as a creative and as a person in life. So without a goal and without a defined vision, you won't know what to pick because there's a lot of ideas that uh, look really exciting and they look like they're going somewhere really cool. You think, oh, I would would like to go to all of these places Mm. all at once. I think there's a scarcity mindset that plays into it. If you think that ideas and opportunities are so limited that you're going to miss an opportunity and that's going to be detrimental to your future, then you are going to be under pressure when you find a lot of opportunities coming and you feel like you're missing them or you're not taking the right ones. That just comes from a scarcity mindset um, from my perspective because, like Richard says, uh, you know, ideas are a dime a dozen. Like you will always have ideas because you have the value. You will always have opportunities. But you just need to work out where you're going and what your vision is so you know which ones are actually going to help take you there and which ones could be cool. But if they're not going to take you there, then you don't need to take them. It's super tricky too because one bus is going to the food market, which has got (laughs) cheap food, right? And I need to eat because I'm hungry. But the other bus is a longer trip and it's going to the learn to grow your own Uh uh, vegetable patch Uh tutorial thing, you know? deepening this analogy. I like that. That's really good. So it's tricky though, isn't it, to have the foresight to go, oh, actually, Mm -hmm. this is short-term gain, money usually, or there's long-term gain in waiting for the next bus that's going to take a bit longer to get here. But also off the back of that, I feel like people don't realise how much they create their own opportunities. Oh, big time. And if you put stuff into the world, like – It'll, it comes around and it's so yeah. weird how it happens, but mm. like where you focus your energy is where that next opportunity will come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're focusing your energy on that thing that's a bit for your career, that's where they keep popping up. Also, I think jumping on the back of what you said, Caleb, you have to actually know what your goal is to then know what to say no to. You've got a, I feel like you've got a fairly good idea. Mm. Really good vision. A vision, yeah. yeah I've, I feel like I've caught it. I've caught your vision and I'm like, I'm ready to, to follow your journey. So maybe it's more about not wanting to say no or people pleasing or being like part of a community. So you say yes to more things than perhaps. So how do you say mm. no? Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Refer it to someone else. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I love because opportunities, you know, a lot of them are valuable and a lot that you say no to will still be valuable. It's easier to say no if you know that there's going to be more. But how I say no, I've really dialed that in, is because I know that most opportunities will be valuable and I can spot one, I like to give that to someone else um, because I, I'm i intentionally building the network around me of creatives like me with the knowledge that none of them will ever be exactly like me mm. because I'm unique uh, and we're all unique in our and, and valuable. So they'll do things, they'll do different things and they'll want to do different things that I don't want to do. Yep. So I am trying to amass as many people and connections that I can so that every opportunity that comes my way, I know who's it's going to be right for. Um, I get people coming and saying, I need this. I need this output. I need this creative thing. And I often say, no, that doesn't contribute to where my business is going. That's not what we do. I could do that, but it's not what I want to do. It's not what we do, not what we do best. So here's my top three picks of other creatives that are going to be able to help you with that. I don't know if that's helpful. No, I think that's that's amazing in that you talked about scarcity before. So that's kind of that abundance mindset of there's enough for everybody. It's not like if I don't take the job, then, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to, you know, it's like, well, if, yeah. yeah, if they make the sale or they have the work, like that yeah. there is enough for everybody. So less, less of a pie and more of an ocean. Mm. Mm. Do you feel pressure from other, I, this is like, I definitely do, but I was wondering if you feel pressure from other people in your circle, if you're like, if you tell them, oh, I said no to this opportunity because it's not quite right blah blah and they're like why why would you say no to that that's a great opportunity and they don't really get it yeah. <laughs> does that happen to you or is that sometimes just- yeah if it depends on where i guess they're at in their journey mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh, but someone yeah i think just starting out as i said like you, you just want to say yes to everything which is maybe just part of the journey but yeah i think that's a season like where where there is um a necessity to take certain things that uh, may not 
contribute to your eventual goal, but they are going to help you mm. uh, in the short term financially, or they may, I think every opportunity has a lesson, a potential lesson to teach you. So even if it's, if you don't think it's ideal or it's not what you want to be doing, I would encourage people starting out to take as many opportunities as you can until you dial in what your vision is. Mm, that's mm. true. Um, because most of them will be able to teach you a lesson. If you can't learn a lesson then in a, in any situation, then that's, you know, that's on you, not the opportunity. Mm. I think there's opportunity to learn lessons and be built as a creative and as a, a business person, as an entrepreneur in every situation. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, definitely part of the journey. I Like for me, it's maybe more of a like I can feel now oh, if something lights me up or if something yeah. like, oh, I yeah. feel a bit like kind of hesitant to say yes, then I probably mm. shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a great um, place to be is, is bringing that internal feeling. If you're a feeler, you use your, your feeling, your senses and yep. your intuition and go, does this make me excited? Yep. Does this spark joy? Is that, who's that? Yeah, um, that's Marie, Marie Kondo. Yeah, yeah that's Cleaning right. does not bring me joy, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> does this spark joy <laughs> in my yeah. life? Yeah. And then, and then there's other situations where you, if it doesn't and it, it may, is a bit daunting, I've had one opportunity come across my plate recently that I, I said no to. I said, oh, no. But then I reassessed it and I, I thought, I only said no to that because it scared me. Mm. But it's actually what I'm called to yeah. do. There you, oh, there you go. <laughs> and I yeah. have been putting it okay. off <laughs> and going, that's in the future somewhere. Yep. But now this opportunity comes and it's challenging yep. me. So assessing why you feel uh, hesitant towards it is the next step in that decision-making process. Yep. And if you're like, look, I just, I feel hesitant because I know I've done something similar in the past and I really didn't like it or yep. I don't like the thought of that at all. But I like no the idea that, yeah, you might be playing small and yeah. so you're saying no to things and yes, so like Marie Kondo, everything is an energy yeah. and I think money's an energy too. Yeah. So, you know, I, I would used mm. to say yes to things because I'm like, oh, I need to because mm -hmm. it's money, mm. you know, and that's what makes me successful. But I've got an interesting story. It, it's funny you asked this question, Lauren, because it's so uh, relevant to Caleb and I right at this very moment. I've done some work recently producing videos so far out of my scope to start with, <laughs> but uh, they brought me on as a producer. And the reason I took those jobs to start with because they had like a very creative outcome and it was featuring an artist and it was about the artist's journey and it really fit into my scope in regards to that. Plus I do a little bit of everything anyway, so it, yeah. it's fairly easy for me to just collaborate with a filmmaker to do some stuff. And we did a really great job and in this role as well. I'm just the producer, director basically. And I've got some video guys on the ground doing the things and I'm in the middle managing the client and setting everything up and just making it happen. And we did a really good job, which is awesome. And they've come back and referred us to another internal team and said, hey, do you want to do a TVC, a television commercial to promote new home buyers, blah, 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 whatever it is. I was like, oh, oh, nah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to do that. But, and I think in the past I would have just said yes. But having done some uh, professional development, actually where we met Lauren in the incubator program mm -hmm, with the yes. Emporium Creative Hub, I realised that everything we do in Nacho Station has to have like a creative outcome or a community outcome. So it could be one of the two and ideally it's both. Yep. Yep. And this one was about making sales in a space to new home buyers, whatever it was. And I just thought, nah, that doesn't fit. But I know a guy who would absolutely nail it. <laughs> so I referred it to Caleb. Yeah. <laughs> um, which was super serendipitous because, and this is how networks work. Like, yeah, they've been on the dream client list for ages. It's like, I can see their headquarters from my office. <laughs> like, why haven't I, why hasn't this happened yet? And then this opportunity just falls in my lap because Reese identified that it wasn't, wasn't right for him and he just handballed it my way. And now the relationship started and it's the, the connection has been made. Which is phenomenal. And I that's love the that opportunity. Story. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 It's so cool. That's the opportunity that you get. That's such a reward as well for for a, a creative. Like for Reese, I would imagine that felt great. It does. It feels nice to uh, 
like fill your pipeline. I know you're busy enough as it is, <laughs> but there is like a weird feeling about it. Like, oh God, I could have made some money off that. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I could have, and I did a yeah. creative job at like a, at a good creative price, <laughs> but a, a television commercial, like the markup on that is going to be way bigger and yeah. it still probably would have been cheaper than Caleb's <laughs> price. <laughs> yeah, let's be honest. But I know you're going to smash that out of the park. So I feel good that I've given them a good result as well by, mm. you know, linking them up with someone who's going to yeah. do it better than yeah. I would anyway. Yep. Well, <laughs> I reckon that pretty much brings us to an end. Thanks so much for a really great chat, Laura. That's been amazing. Um, yeah, some of your insights into your artwork, I think. Wow. Yeah, I'm surprised you're not already a full-time artist because you talk about your art like you are, which is a good start. You seem like you've got everything you need to be a wildly successful artist that people are just drawn to because, you know, in this talk, I'm drawn to your artwork and your stories and I want to walk up View Street and go see the rest of your work. They're all for sale too, by the way. Perfect. (laughs) Perfect. So where can people find you if they are feeling the way I feel and want to see more of you and your work? Yeah. Um, Well, they can, yeah, if they're local, they can come to View Street. So in the old Sandhurst Trustees Building, Valentine's Antiques, I've got a gallery in there that's always open. I'm in sporadically, but you can always just ring me up and I'll come in. I have work on Blue Thumb Gallery, which is an online platform. Can't speak now. Platform. And I have a website and Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. What's your website? Laurenstar.com.au. Perfect. Forward slash Bendigo Art Gallery. (laughs) (laughs) You'll see that when you get there. Well, you know, (laughs) that's good. I like it. Tap in on that uh, key search word right there. I love that. Uh, All right, Lauren, thank you very much and good luck with your next creative endeavors. You guys are amazing. Thank you. It's been a wonderful experience. Can't wait to come back. The Country Creative Podcast is made by and for creative professionals doing amazing things across regional settings. It's conceived and hosted by Reese Hendy and Caleb Maxwell, produced by Amy Chapman, and support comes from the Emporium Creative Hub in Mitchell Street, Bendigo. If you have a topic that you'd like us to explore, or perhaps an idea for a guest, maybe you just want to say hello, please do get in touch via the contact form on the website at emporiumcreativehub.com.au slash podcast. Make sure you subscribe to us via your favourite podcast platform so you can be the first to hear new episodes. We'll see you soon.